We are in the middle of this series called Stand. Um, It's based out of Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul said, finally having done everything else, I want you to stand. And uh, listen, how many of you, you know that there are people that tell you all the stuff that you should do, um, but you already knew that, right? Like, you should stand, but maybe this is more about how we stand. How are we supposed to stand? We know we're supposed to stand. So he said, okay, above everything else, stand, and we've done everything else, stand. Um, but how do we do that, right? So this, this series is all about how, how do we stand. Week one, we talked about standing in, right? We said we want to stand in, and what we stand in is obedience. You got to put that armor on. We want to stand in obedience. We talked about Gideon. Gideon having um, a really big army that wasn't even big enough, and then God made it smaller and smaller and really small. And then he said, okay, now go do it. And it made no sense, but Gideon was obedient and simple obedience Leads to supernatural outcomes. Last week, I was on the um, Emmaus walk, and uh, Jason, Jason taught. Um, golly, I mean, it was amazing. He taught on standing up, and, and we talked about prayer. He talked about prayer. That when we're standing, we stand up in prayer because, um, and if you remember, I, I'm going to probably, I should read it so I don't butcher it because Tim Keller is so much better, but Tim Keller had a quote that was your big idea last week that, Prayer is not so much accessing more stuff from God, it's accessing God himself, like the heart of God. And when we are standing in a battle, when we stand up in prayer, we actually access God's heart in the heavenlies. We get his perspective, and that allows us to stand here in the fight. By the way, Jason, phenomenal job. Um, we won't wait till I go somewhere else for you to preach. I told people that the only downside was that I wasn't here. I love to hear, I mean, y'all are so, we got such gifts in our body, and I love how varied we are, how different we are, how he uses all of us, um, and I hate it when I'm not here to, to get to actually hear it live, but it was really good um, recorded, so I'm sure it was great live as well. Um, this morning, we're talking about the third way that we stand. How do we stand? We stand with. We stand with one another. We stand with one another. It's, this is all about, about unity. Um, we're going to spend all our time in Psalm 133. So you can go ahead and get your, your phone out, your device out, your actual Bible with, with pages in it out and turn to Psalm 133. It's one of the shortest Psalms. Uh, it's only three verses, and they are power-packed. I'm going to give you five things that I think we can learn about unity in these three verses. Um, and then I'll, I'll, you've, got, you've got note sheets in your in your um, seat and you've got a pen I'll give you some other verses that you can write down just for you to study later just um, things that we can learn about unity while you're turning to Psalm 133 um, what I found was as I was studying I kept thinking you know I'm kind of a simple guy I was like God I mean there has got to be a simple definition of unity somewhere there's got to be I'm googling reading commentaries there's not that there's probably a lesson there right um, so I tried to make one up that fits for me, and I'm going to give it to you and see if we can. You know, so I started thinking, well, unity is just like teamwork, right? But that's not really true because there are teams that don't have unity. So it's not just about being on the same team. There's more to it than that. And so here's, here's what I came up with. If you're writing stuff down, you might want to write this down. I just put that unity happens when all of us give all we can for all of him. Let me just say it again. When all of us give all we can for all of him. Now, that means all of us. That means that we are on the same team, right? We are on the same team in the body of Christ. 
But it's more than just being on the same team. And it's more than just being like physically together. It's also that we are not only on the same team, we have the same commitment. So we're giving all we can, right? Now, um, some people can give more than, like, you know, you saw last week, Jason's gifted in teaching. Um, maybe some of you are like, I'm not. Um, please don't ever, ever, ever ask me to stand behind that pulpit and preach because they'll see my knees knocking and I'll, like, you know, wet my pants. They'll, they'll see all that. But you have something, right? All of us have something. And so when we're all, all of us are giving all we can. It's not a comparison thing. It's what, what can we give and when we give it and all for him. That's the key, isn't it? The same goal, the same mission. That's biblical unity. All of us giving all we can for all of him. Um, so here's where we're going to, you're in Psalm 133. I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back through. I'll give you five, five really cool things we can learn about unity. Um, here we go, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. Let's just go um, verse by verse. Let me give you three things. Number one, this is, this is a no-brainer. Unity's good. He said how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So unity's a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy, but the word is pleasant. That's what that word means. It means agreeable. Um, I don't know where agreeable is for you. Right? Um, I'm assuming for Duke and Carolina fans, it's not in the game, right? Like, that, that's not an agreeable place because there's booing and all that kind of stuff. But where's an agreeable place for you? When you think pleasant, what comes to mind? Probably not a corporate setting, giving a presentation to a boss, right? Um, maybe it's the beach, you know, maybe it's the mountains, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but there are places for, you know, maybe it's, Man, sinking into a sofa with a cup of coffee. I mean, what, what comes to mind when you think pleasant? What I want you to understand is that unity, even though it's not easy to get or even to maintain, it is a good gift from a good father. And he wants us to have unity. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. All right? So that's number one. Unity is good. Here's number two. This one's really important. Unity is for the church. Unity is not world peace. Unity is not everybody on Facebook gets along and posts the same thing. Unity is for the church. So while we're talking this morning, like if you're not following Jesus, you're kind of off the hook here. How's that feel? Right? You're like, sweet, I'm, I'm not following Jesus. I'm just hanging out with all these people that are hypocrites right? <laughs> We're not really hypocrites. We just sometimes get mixed up and think that what God requires of us, he also requires of everybody. But he says here how good and pleasant it is when believers live together in unity. This is for the church. This is not for the world. This is not everybody in the world grabbing a Coke and singing Kumbaya, right? Although Coke is good and Kumbaya, well, we could pick another song. But anyway, Unity is something that believers experience. Here's a couple verses for you to, to jot down. John 17, 23. Jesus prayed 
Um, John 17 is, if you were going to pick one chapter this week to study, I would just say, just go to John 17. It's, the, it's, it's a whole chapter of prayer by Jesus. He prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for all of us. And when he was praying for all of us, John 17, 23, he prayed that we would have complete unity. He didn't pray we'd have partial unity. He didn't pray that we'd have 99.9% unity. He prayed that we'd have complete unity so that, everybody so that, everybody say it, so that the world would know who he was and why he was sent. It's a big deal, right? Jesus knew that it was a big deal. He prayed for it. When Jesus is praying for something, it's a big deal. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is, man, if there's ever been a jacked up church, it would have to be the church in Corinth, right? Like metropolitan area, think New York City, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, you know, all the cities that have really bad problems, never Albemarle, right? Um, Whatever, but think metropolitan area. And in that metropolitan area was this church at Corinth that was full of all kinds of bad stuff. I mean, they weren't getting along. They all, you know, it, um, using our situation as an example, there are people like, I hate it when Paul preaches because I love it when Jason preaches. Or I hate it when Jason preaches because I love it when Phil preaches. And I hate it when Phil preaches because I love it when Adam preaches. And then somebody's like, I hate it when Adam preaches because I love it when Paul preaches. That's what was going on. Like they were, it, it picks up that they would use it to divide themselves. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 chapter 10, I mean verse 10, he said, I entreat you. How, who here has ever used the word entreat in an actual sentence, right? Oh, a teacher, of course. Like, I entreat you kids to sit down and be quiet, right? I entreat you. He used the word entreat. But what it means is a word that all of us can relate to, especially if you have had small children. It means beg. Hey, by the way, you guys that are walking out right now, I know it's not because you can't stand my sermon. They're like, I hate it when Paul preaches. I love it when Adam preaches. Um, they're going down to the community table to serve our city. And I love that. So thanks, guys, for that. And that's Miracle Sunday right there, serving our city. I love that. Once a month, I get to watch people walk out while I preach. It's very humbling. It's very, very humbling. Anyway, it's all good. He says, I beg you, I beg you to live in unity. Jesus prayed for us to live in unity so that the world would know why he was sent. And then Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I beg you, I implore you to be one. Unity is a big deal to the believers, to the church. Christian unity is it's even, more, it's even more than just our church getting along. It's brothers and sisters in the kingdom remembering that we're on the same team giving the same commitment for the same goal. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Um, I got some names of some of my brothers. I thought I'd put them up on the screen for you. Um, Larry, Bob, Andy, Brian, Kevin, Brad, Stoney, Jay, Jeff, Mike. These are some of my brothers. And right now, today, my brothers are giving all they have for all, all for him. They're preaching at the churches that are now going to be listed on that screen. Most of them are in our city. A lot of them we've walked around over the last 40 days. Some are in other cities, but they're all my brothers. See, unity is not, <laughs> y'all are like looking at the screen going, that's the one I want to go to. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. 
Unity's not when we get along. We've sold unity too short. Pastors have tried to preach unity so that people in their church will stop fighting. That's not Christian unity. Christian, that, that doesn't happen when we get this. Christian unity is there's a lot of churches and a lot of brothers and sisters that are preaching and teaching so that the body of Christ will be brought to maturity and unity. And so we're going to just, I know if you're new here, you're just like, ah, something's fixing to happen. I'm going to be uncomfortable. Probably so, but you're in good company because people in our church are uncomfortable with this stuff too. (laughs) Um, I'm going to stop talking and you're going to just stand up and get in groups of five or six and we're going to pray for these brothers right now. Now, listen, if you don't like to pray out loud, you don't have to. It's all good. You can stand in a circle and nobody in your circle will pray out loud and I'll pray because I have the microphone. It's all good. Okay, don't panic. Don't panic at all. Everybody's starting to sweat right now. It's like, oh my, I got to touch hands. If you don't like to touch hands, just elbows is cool too, right? But I want you to get in groups of five. Can we just pray just for a few minutes? Can we just pray for my brothers at these churches? And if you forget their names... Open your eye during the prayer and look at the screen. It's okay if you do that. Y'all start praying and I'll close this out in just a minute. God, I thank you that you are moved. Your heart is moved when brothers live together in unity. That Right now, heaven is moved because believers are praying for believers I thank you, God, for the gift it is when we see a kingdom bigger than us. I love the gathering. I love what you're doing in our church. I am so honored to lead what I would consider the best church in the world. But the truth of the matter is that I have brothers who feel the exact same way about the churches that they're preaching to this morning. And so, God, we just pray in our city that you would move through these pastors. God, that you would fill them with passion to preach the gospel. That they would preach about the cross without wavering. That they would never fear man. They would simply preach you. And we pray for um, our overseers that are uh, Jeff in Wilmington and Mike in Charlotte. God, we pray over Jay at the Refuge in Concord. I pray that you would continue to to use them to change the atmospheres of their cities. God, that you would equip them to equip their bodies so that there would be unity, God. Not just in a bunch of individual churches, but man, I'm praying, especially in our city. What could happen when a city sees churches live together in unity. We know it's good, and we know it's what you want for us, God. But we also know this from what Jesus prayed in John 17, that when we do that, it is evidence to Albemarle and Stanley County that you are who you say you are and that you did what you said you would do. And so we thank you for the opportunity, God, to be on the same team, given the same commitment for the same goal. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for praying. You guys can grab your seats. um, 
Third point. Third point. So we know that unity is good. He said how good and pleasant it is. We know that it's for the church because he said when believers. And then here's the third point. Um, unity, unity is more relational than informational. It's kind of a long one. Unity is more relational than informational. And here's what I mean by that. He said how good it is when believers live together. Now, before you start thinking we need to build one big giant house and move in together, this is not a call to be the Waltons, right? If you're old enough to remember that show. Good night, Jim Bob. Shut up, Grandma. Right? Remember that? Um, this is not that. I mean, I, I'm all, I would love it, man. We could all get a bunch of tiny houses and live in the same area. I'd be all on board for that, right? Woo! I'd be the only one. I can tell. It's all good, though. You're like, something's wrong with our pastor. Um, this, is, this is not about actually physically living together. And how, how we know that because of what? Well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very unified with Koshi. But I don't live in Delhi. And he definitely doesn't live in Albemarle. We are literally halfway around the globe from each other. But we're unified. Okay, so um, what I want you to see is you don't take a class on unity Learn how to say verses together in unison from the same version of the Bible. <laughs> you don't, that's not unity. Unity's not thinking the same. Unity happens in relationship. How good it is when brothers live together. Just a couple, a couple thoughts. Unity, unity is about the heart being one more than the mind being one. If you like to rhyme words, unity is more about being together than agreeing together. Because when I truly know you and your heart, I am much more likely to stand with you even if I don't agree with you. I have on occasion said things to, um, to like kids in my youth group that would just, I'd hear bad things about them. And I would, I would go to them and I would say, listen, because I love you, I'm getting ready to go talk to your teacher, your parent, your whoever the authority figure is. I'm getting ready to go defend you. Please keep me from making a fool of myself. If there's something you should tell me now, because I'm going to defend you. Because I'm with you, right? That's what happens when your heart is with somebody. The Bible uses like, like Jonathan and David, their hearts were knit together um, armor bearer for Jonathan that he was he said I'm with you heart and soul this is what biblical unity looks like it's a heart thing right we tend to make it a mind thing oh our church is unified because we all love contemporary music so that doesn't mean you're unified just means you sing the same right unity is not and it's not really an action it's a heart thing it's unity in spirit right more than it is unity in action so I want you to think heart. Unity happens as we do life together. And that's important because we're going to have to fight to protect unity. We tend to fight harder for people than for ideas. Have you noticed that? I was trying to think of a really good example of that. And I thought of it, but I can't use it. So we'll just move on. I shouldn't have even said that. Sorry. Ask me later. Ephesians 4, chapter, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. Paul says this. He says to do your best to maintain unity. Don't go halfway with it. 
He says, fight to protect the unity of the Spirit. I don't know about you. I, I tend to, like, I love y'all, and, but I would fight for my family harder than I might fight for a stranger. Because you're coming to mess with my family. Like, I'm not even a good fighter, but I would fight, right? And so when we hear, like, protect unity, at all costs, fight for unity, it's because we're living together. We get to know each other. It's like, oh, no, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, you did not talk about my sister Erica. Oh, no, Mm-mm. we're going to have a problem now, right? Do you, ever, do you ever feel that for people in your church? That's biblical unity. Listen, I, I'm the guy who is nominated by God to wear the microphone, which sounds really awesome, but what it really means is I'm the guy who makes a fool of himself and it gets recorded for all to hear. So if we just proportionally talk about who's going to make the most mistakes publicly in our church, it will be me. Because every message is recorded and put online for all to hear. Unity is when somebody says, like, I'll just give this example. It's from way, 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 way back at the first church that I was ever a youth pastor at. And I was leading our teenagers on Youth Sunday, and I was wrapping it all up. And I guess it went kind of long. And Wendy happened to go out to go, I think, to the bathroom. And she overheard an older gentleman in our church. Somebody said, is church out yet? And he goes, nah, he's still blowing a bunch of hot air. He's dead, by the way. Wendy killed him right there on the spot. (laughs) And it was awesome. It was awesome. Blood. No, it really didn't happen. I mean, in her mind she did. And so the Bible says she's guilty of murder, right? Um, That, listen, when that stuff happens, man. But when it happens, how we respond is the evidence of unity. Right? You start popping disease, right? Oh, Oh, no, you did not. Just say that about my brother, about my sister. And I will say this. The reason why we don't see a lot of that in church is because not everybody's all in. But when you go all in, when unity is all of us giving all we can for all all for him, man, when you go in like that, oh, you're invested now. Oh, you did. I love you, but you did not just say that about my brother and my sister, Right? That's what biblical unity looks like. It's more relational than informational. It's not about agreeing. Because how many of you know if there's one person in the room, even they don't agree with themselves most of the time, right? It's not possible. So look around there like there's no way we're all going to agree together. Y'all don't even know if Coke is better than Pepsi. And it is. We can't even agree about that. We're not going to agree about everything, even the most important things. So unity is about the heart. It's relational more than informational. Here's the last two, and then we'll wrap up. These are the ones that I think are the best. Unity allows the spirit to flow freely. Okay, so he, in verse 2, you can't read verse 2 and not kind of get this, um, this picture that, that David's painting for us. He talks about how unity is like oil poured on the head and then it flows down onto the beard, and then it goes onto the collar. And he's talking about Aaron. So um, in, in the Old Testament, you know, when they would anoint a priest, 
they would take, he says it's precious oil. So this isn't just like Wesson oil that you cook with, okay? Don't try that, please. Um, this is anointing oil. So it's very precious. And they would take that anointing oil and they would have, an, uh, the priest would kneel and they would pour that over the priest. Now, at a church where I was on staff, I watched this happen. The pastor didn't know it was going to happen, right? He was just at the altar and some guy just came up with oil and just like, glup, 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 glup. And I was like, oh, no, he did not. Where's my phone? We didn't have cell phones. I couldn't video it. So, um, but the pastor, just, he just knelt there. It was, he just, it was so honoring to him. I mean, it probably ruined his suit. I don't even know how you clean that stuff up. I mean, it's like oil everywhere, right? That's the picture, okay? So what I want you to see is what, what does oil represent in the Bible? It represents the Spirit of God. It represents peace. It represents anointing. So unity allows that to flow freely. It's a beautiful picture of what we want to have in the church, right? We want to see all of that flow. And we we all know that there are gaps that exist between us, right? We talk about this all the time that you can put one or two things in the gap, right? You can believe the best or assume the worst. Unity is allows the Spirit of God to fill those gaps. There's friction in the body. Have you ever felt that, friction in church? Never, right? Never. Never. I mean, only like five times today, right? There's always friction. We say that all the time. If there's two people in the room, there's going to be friction. So the Spirit of God, that oil, I mean, it just, it eases some of that. And unity allows for that to happen. Unity gives grace, and then more grace, and then more grace, and then more grace. Because it's relational. We're talking about people that we love. And then the last one, number five. Unity positions us for God's blessings. Verse three. He says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So he's not talking about some dude named Hermon, Okay. Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in, Jerusalem, in Israel. It's the tallest mountain. And so at the top of Mount Hermon, it's like snow is on top of there and there's clouds that cover it. And so as the snow would kind of melt, the water comes down. Not only is Mount Hermon the tallest mountain, but the valley below Mount Hermon is, I don't know if this is a word or not, but the lushest, is that a word? The lushest valley, the most green, the most fertile. Because like, all that water's running down off the mountain, into the valley. And he says in this psalm that that's what unity's like. Unity opens us up to receive the blessings of God. He says at the end, he says, for there God commands his blessing. Where? The bottom of Mount Hermon? We all supposed to pack our bags and go there? No. There refers to Unity. That when we live in unity, that's the place that God blesses. And, and he doesn't suggest blessings. This is pretty cool, I think. He commands it. Like, uh, hey, like if, I know it probably didn't happen in heaven, but if there's like a room of blessings, he's like, hey, blessing, go to the gathering now. Yeah, take a friend with you. That's right, go. He commands it. He commands the blessing in the place of unity. Unity positions us for God's blessings. Here's your big idea. 
If you're new here, the big idea means this. It just means uh, this is what I want you to remember about today. I've given you five points. You've probably taken really good notes, but you're going to go eat lunch and have a Mexican food coma and forget most of it. And so I want you to remember these, this simple statement. Blessing goes where unity flows. Blessing goes where unity flows. If you want to stop the blessing, put up a wall. Don't, don't hear politically what I just said, okay? Don't even read political into that, okay? I know like, the whole idea of a wall has been hijacked. But if you, if you want to stop the blessing of God in your life, just put up a wall. Just put up a wall. You would be like a guy that moved to the top of Mount Hermon and decided, I want all the water for myself. And so you would build some way to keep the water at the top and you would have a really lush mountaintop and the valley below would die. So if you want, if you want to live a life that's not blessed by God, if we as a church want to live a life that's not blessed by God, and believe me, many churches exist do not close their doors, and are not blessed by God. I ain't got time for that, okay? I don't want that. We can, we can probably find a bunch of churches and be a part of that. I want a church that's blessed by God. And the reason we'll be blessed is because we have unity. But if we start to hoard that stuff for ourselves, if you hoard for yourself, you harm others. Unity positions us for God's blessings. And when we cause division, when we hoard, when we put up walls and barriers it stops the flow of unity and it removes the blessings that we need now let me ask you one question and then I'll give you a story and a video and then we'll pray and be done where does unity flow the freest it's a rhetorical question don't feel the pressure to answer out loud where does unity flow the freest at the cross at the cross because that's the place that Jesus destroyed the things that divide us. Now, I love this, Ephesians 2.14. Um, Jennifer read from Colossians during worship, but Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus destroyed the wall of hostility. Now, that was between Gentiles and Jews. He destroyed the wall of hostility. The word for destroyed means this, destroy, abolish. It means to deprive of authority. Now, check this out, okay? Follow me. That means that Jesus made unity possible because there was a wall that divided us, right? Um, let's, use Duke, let's use Tar Heel fans and Duke fans. So there's a wall that divides us, and it's literally there. I mean, so even if we wanted to come together, they couldn't come together because there was a wall that divided them, a physical wall. And Jesus obliterated it. He deprived it of its authority. You got to get this, right? So that wall, gone. And there is no authority for that wall to be put back up. Nobody's got a building permit. You can go apply for it all day long and Jesus is like, nope, not giving you a permit for that because I've removed the authority for that wall to be there. So not only has he made unity possible because the wall's gone, but he has made it impossible for external things to divide us. Guess who makes it possible? We do. Because we build an unauthorized wall. <sighs> I don't want to do that. Now, let me give you a quick story. I thought this was really interesting. Several centuries ago, 
ancient China wanted to secure its borders from northern invaders. So they had an ingenious plan. You can see where I'm going with this. They built a great wall to protect the border. It was so thick you couldn't knock it down. It was so long you couldn't get around it. They posted soldiers at different places along the wall. It was built wide enough on the top for chariots to patrol. So if they heard of an attack at a distant place, they could just get to it quickly on top of the wall. They were up high enough so they had a superior advantage over their enemies. They knew that they had protected their borders sufficiently against all enemies. But in the first 100 years of the Great Wall of China, the nation was invaded three times. How? They bribed the gatekeeper. When we diminish the importance of unity in the body of Christ, we risk being invaded by the enemy. God has called us to divine fellowship. That fellowship is one of the most powerful tools of witness to the lost and dying world. And if we don't protect it, strive for it, do everything we can to promote it, we open the gate to the enemy. And the enemy attacks our family and our church and destroys and causes us to be ineffective. That's what can happen when we don't take unity seriously. When we do all this work to apparently protect ourselves, but one person is bribable. And that's the way the enemy gets in. But when we do take unity seriously, I believe that nothing is impossible. I believe I've got a video. I want to end with this. Um, just shows you kind of what happens in a family when there's unity. Same team, same commitment, same goal. When all of us give all we can for all of him, that's unity. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When that happens, unity flows. And blessing goes where unity flows. Always. Can you do this? Can you just bow your heads for a moment? I want to try to end this by um, helping you respond the right way. Here's what, here's what I think that is. When, when we talk about unity, so often what happens is we, we start to, um, like I was going to just ask you this question, you know, raise your, don't raise your hand, but I was going to say, raise your hand if you feel like you need help in the area of unity. But, but the, as I thought about that, the way we typically hear that is there's unity, but I think, so you're telling me, you're telling me I'm wrong. And I think we tend to think unity is because I think I'm right and, and you think you're right and somebody has to be wrong. Unity is, listen to what I'm saying, unity is the cross. All of us are wrong. Only he was right. That's unity. And when we stop to see the world that way, that's when we start to build walls that protect us and divide others and keep people out, blah, blah, blah. We forget the cross. The cross is proof that God alone is right. And we all are not God. 
And so when I ask you the question this morning, can I pray for you in this area? I'm raising my hand because I easily lose sight of that. And it can become about what I want, agenda, all that stuff. And it's always got to be about the cross. That is where we're the most unified, at the cross. As a matter of fact, in community groups this week, you'll read verses that say things like, there's no male or female, slave or free. There's no Jew, no Gentile at the cross. Because at the cross, there's only two categories, God and not God. And we fall into the second one. And so this morning, can I pray for you in the area of unity? If you would like prayer for that, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Mine is up as well. And let's just close this morning praying for that. God, I thank you for Psalm 133. I thank you for such a powerful three verses that show us so much about unity. God, I thank you that when we, we preach on unity, man, I can preach with passion about this because Jesus prayed for this. I mean, this is something that he prayed that we would experience. He prayed for me. He prayed for the gathering. He prayed for every brother listed on that screen. He prayed for all the churches in our city. He prayed that we would live in unity, full, complete unity, so that we would give a complete picture to this city of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so, God, for all the hands that went up, I just pray that you would, um, God, unify our hearts in the gospel. God, even when we don't see the same way and we don't think the same way, that our hearts, man, we would be unified in the gospel, that we would bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I thank you, God, that this is a place where your blessing can go because the gathering is a place, God, where we want unity to flow. We ask for it. In your name, Jesus. And I believe this, God, that nothing will be impossible to us when we walk in that kind of unity. Because we align ourselves with the God of the impossible when we do it. And so I pray for oil of the Spirit to flow freely in this body through the unity of the Spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen.